Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, we have Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, who is a Philadelphia-based licensed clinical psychologist in private practice who specializes in the treatment of anxiety, depression, and everyday life stress. She is also an expert on narcissism in relationships and offers consultations and educational workshops on the topic. Dr. Z is a mental health contributor for various media outlets, including Fox 29 News and CBS. She's also been featured in several publications, including the Huffington Post, Business Insider, Washington Post, and is the author of an anxiety management workbook that will be released this coming April. And she is also the co-host of It's Me, Dr. Z, and JB Podcast. Wow, what a resume. Dr. Z, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. You just made me sound very busy. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing what you've accomplished and what you're, you know, in April having your um your anxiety management workbook. That's amazing. Yes, thank you. I'm very excited. Yeah, very excited. I, I definitely want to get that. I feel like, especially over the last year with the pandemic and just in general, anxiety just seems to be coming up a lot in my practice and just in everyday life, you know, even mm-hmm. in my own personal life, it's been coming up so so much more um, over the last year, year and a half. I just hear it being talked about more, even with mm-hmm. kids. And um, so that's going to help so many people. So I'm so glad you're doing that. No, thank you. Um, but I do want to, I, I think it's fascinating. Um, of course, you know, in, in school, I learned about, you know, narcissism and, and whatnot and um, red flags of relationships and things like that. And, but I, I haven't actually met anyone who has specialized in it. So I'm really willing to focus on that today. Um, I know you're a plethora of, of, of expertise on so many things, but I want to start first, you know, since you are an expert in that area, if you could at least first start and tell everyone what narcissism is, and then we'll go into a little bit more of, of what that's all about. Sure. So I think what's what I like to tell people first, I think what's most important is there's a big difference between narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder. So all of us have some narcissistic traits that, you know, some come out when we're doing something that we are a specialist at, or, you know, and it kind of goes in the other direction when we're not sure about ourselves. So it really ranges in their traits and everybody has them. Um, So when we say someone's narcissistic, however, meaning they have narcissistic personality disorder, that is very different. So that is very different than just kind of being a jerk, right? Because a jerk is, you can be a jerk in one situation, but not in another. You have awareness that you're a jerk. You may apologize for being a jerk. Whereas narcissistic personality disorder is a pervasive personality style where you 
are, let's say somebody is a jerk, they would be like that in every single situation across the board. So um, it's it's a very pervasive, very manipulative, um, uh, a lot of verbal abuse, physical abuse in relationships. Um, and it's it's very, very different than just when somebody says, you know, they're so narcissistic. Right. Right. And I'm glad you clarified that because there there obviously is a difference. And um, you already answered, I think, my next two questions, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. If you want to expand <laughs> on them, that'd sure. be great because, you know, working with relationships, um, I mostly specialize with children now, as you, as mm-hmm. you probably know. Um, but I did some work with couples and relationships, you know, in my previous years of experience. And it's hard work. It's really hard uh-huh. work, first of all. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I think there's, and we're going to dive into this a little more in the episode, but you know, there's, you know, most people are in are in relationships these days, you know, whether, you know, with your partner, with your spouse, you know, whoever it may be with even even friends, you know, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, uh-huh. but even other friends that, you know, you're in a relationship maybe with your parents or uh-huh. someone's in a relationship with someone, I guess is all I'm saying. And um, there can be some, let's say, um, emotional abuse that's going on. You, you mentioned verbal abuse uh-huh. um, that may not be picked up on as much as let's say something like physical or sexual abuse seems to Correct. be more obviously, you know, uh, apparent um, to to recognize. And I think a lot of times it goes by the wayside and, you know, there's a lot of excuses being made of, oh, well, he is just a jerk or she is uh-huh. just a jerk or who, you know, whoever it is. And, um, and almost accepting it as that's just who they are. Uh-huh. And I feel like I want to <laughs> share, uh-huh. you know, your expertise on uh-huh. what that means and what they can sure. what we do about it. So you mentioned some, um, if you have any more, I was, I was curious if you could share some more characteristics of someone who is narcissistic and, and yes, how that shows up in relationships. Sure. So I think one of the reasons why it flies under the radar, other than they're not being visible bruises or, you know, something that's, that's obvious to the outside world is that the abuse is extremely calculated in these types of relationships, whether it's, as you said, you know, a mother, daughter, father, son, a friend, a significant other. Uh, it's very kind of, uh, it, it's almost hidden because the way they present to the outside world is going to be very different than the way they present to the person that they're in the relationship with. Right. Uh, and so one of the reasons also why it flies under the radar is it's very common for regardless of the relationship type, it's very common for the non-narcissistic partner or non-narcissistic person in the relationship to not even be aware mm. that the abuse is even occurring because it's so strategic and it's done in such a way that the person, the non-narcissistic partner feels that they're always wrong, that they truly are made to think that their reality, their perception of situations is wrong. So the idea that they're being abused is is not even on their radar. So there, it's almost like there's nothing to report. Hmm. Um, yes. So it, 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 it's very... Um, it's interesting because when I will work... When I work... I, so I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I usually see the partners or the ch- the adult children of the narcissistic um, person. So it, uh, one of the things that happens oftentimes is they'll come in for relationship difficulties, right? And through therapy, you know, I'll realize, you know, this is we're dealing with someone who's a narcissistic partner or a narcissistic parent, um, and start to highlight the abuse strategies and the consequences of it and kind of bring it to the surface because a lot of times they 
they don't know that it's abuse. They look at it more as just they're depressed, they're anxious, they don't feel good, they have low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through therapy, they realize there's there's a reason for that. <laughs> right, right. And, and And that's the thing. I feel like, you know, when I've heard friends or clients um, or anyone of the sort, you know, talk about something in this category, it's, um, you know, you hear comments like, well, my partner just says, or my parent just says um, that I'm just too sensitive yes. or that or you know, you're crazy or, you know, yeah, exactly. You're, yeah. you're overreacting. Um, yeah. yeah. Very, it's very common. It's called, you know, it's called gaslighting. So you asked, you had asked about, you know, um, characteristics of someone who is a, who has narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and it's usually, as I describe it kind of to to everyday people who are in these relationships, it's typically somebody who will have no problem presenting one way to the outside world, but yet to their partner or their child or whomever, um, they present as you know extremely manipulative, um, very strategic in their manipulation. So there's different kind of, there's a cycle of abuse that usually happens and kind of rotates around. So in the beginning, in I'll use dating for an example, but then in the beginning, they tend to move very quickly. Um, they come on very strong and it's not just like, oh, I met someone and I love them. They're so great. And, you know, they're spending every day with me. It's different. It's this, you're my soulmate before they mm-hmm. even know your middle name. I've been waiting for you my entire life. They're giving you gifts and they're calling you every day. And usually they will gravitate towards somebody, let's say, who's not used to getting that type of attention or who feels really bad about themselves or doesn't have a solid sense of who they are or, you know, self-esteem. And so they've, they've never gotten this attention before. And I, who can blame them for loving this, right? So a lot right. of times in the beginning, they don't even know that this is a, a stage, a, a strategy in the abuse cycle. So they, they come on very strong and they, you know, confess their undying love and this is the best thing ever. And so then once the partner is kind of sucked into this, then you have this devaluation stage that occurs, which is there starts to be these kind of, and it comes on very, it's very subtle. And, and so the way I describe it is it's it's kind of like you get into these relationships and every so often there's like a bar that's put up around you that you don't even realize. And then before you know it, 20 years later, you're in this like cage and you can't get out and you don't know how you got there and you don't know how it happens, but you're there. It's very right. subtle. Um, and so it's very so they suck you in kind of and then what happens is they'll start to for no reason whatsoever give you the silent treatment mm. just to make you think you did something wrong and so you know and it kind of they hijack your emotions so a lot of times people say they're very controlling and they are but they're controlling of your emotions they want to have access to your emotions. And this way they can kind of control you through through that. There's also financial abuse. So you'll hear a lot of times, mostly with women, they weren't allowed to work and they were. it was dictated what they were going to buy, how they were going to buy it. And it makes it very difficult to leave. Right. Because a lot of the women, um, they don't have any job. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have any finances because also they isolate you from family and friends. You know, I don't really like your sister. There's something I don't just, there's something about her I don't trust or, you know, your best friend from college. I don't, I don't know. There's something weird about her. And you start to, they start to isolate you so that you can't talk to them about the abuse. So they can't talk to you about the abuse. Right. Oh, that's scary. 
it's very scary. That's and very, yeah. it's very intermittent reinforcements, meaning you kind of never know what you're going to get. You're walking on eggshells one day, you could cook them dinner and they're like, this is wonderful. I love this. And then the next day you cook them the same dinner and they take the plate and throw it against the wall and storm out and say, you're horrible, terrible. So you never know what you're going to get. So you're in that intermittent reinforcement schedule, which is one of the most difficult patterns to break. Yes. And that emotional inconsistency, no wonder oh, yes. some anxiety comes from it. Oh my goodness. Yes. You yeah. know, the walking on eggshells. I mean, Always. you never know what you're going to get. So it's right. you're scared to act or react. That's right. Because you That's never right. know what the response is going to be. Because um, it's, 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 it's so variable and there's no rhyme or reason for it, which is a way they, they control you. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very scary. So, I mean, so like you said, it's very hidden, but mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned a few red flags. I'm sure you have more, but what would be some red flags or how would someone know, Oh, I think I might be getting into this type of relationship or maybe they're in it. Mm-hmm. You know, how would they know, Oh, this just doesn't feel right. Uh, you know? Yeah. So I, they're two very different things. Cause at, at the time in the beginning, the red flags, the, the person's in a different mindset. They're still they're still objective to it. Once they're in it, they'll be dep- they'll sooner be depressed and anxious and come in for that reason versus being able to identify red flags. Mm, okay. So in the beginning of the relationship, red flags, like I said, coming on very strong, um, you know, giving you gifts and presents, and this could apply even you know with friends and and work you know employees or or your boss. Um, they, you know, make a lot of false promises, which is called future faking. So things like, oh, I can't wait till we're married. And that's going to be our house one day. Let's name our kids this, this, and this. And this is happening, let's say, on date number two. Wow. Um, And it seems like it's too good to be true. And I I hate to be the pessimist, but when it comes on like that and it seems too good to be true, it usually is. Right. You want to look for things like, are they asking you about yourself? Do they remember things that you're telling them the next time you go out with them? Or does it seem like they're just asking and they don't, they're not really registering it because they don't care? How do they speak to waiters and waitresses? How do they speak to even something as simple as like, you know, customer service um, when they're driving? How do they drive? Is there a lot of road rage? Are they considerate? You know, there's these little kind of subtle things to look for. And, you know, people say, well, my, you know, I'm dating someone and they, took me to, you know, Mexico three weeks in. It's not one particular red flag. Right. It's it's all of these things taken together that signal that red flag. Right. Right. And that's that's actually really good, you know, that you said that. And I would think, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that even how they treat their, and like you said, I know it's different in public maybe in, than in private, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but how they treat their friends or their yes. parents is also maybe something to look for too, um, yes. in addition to, let's say, customer service and mm-hmm. you know servers and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would probably come a little bit later in, in the relationship. You would want to look at, yeah, how, what are their friendships like? Who, who are they associating? Do they have friends? Right. Right. Yes. Because that's that's also a red flag, but you, you wouldn't necessarily know that initially. Um, and, you know, with their parents, how does their dad treat their mom? And you may not see it, but you may see that kind of underlying dynamic. How do they talk about their parents? How do they talk about their siblings? Do, you, do they talk about they don't speak to their parents, they don't speak to their siblings, they don't speak to their friends, and there's this disconnect between them and all of these people, and they're kind of the common denominator. 
Right. Yes. Yes. I was going to say the common. Oh, and and also, you know, if they describe all their exes as quote crazy, or Mm. they are constantly describing themselves as a victim, and it it seems like uh, it just happens a lot. Right. That's also a red flag. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, okay. This is, this is great. This is going to help so many people. I just, I just, I just know it. This is such a great topic. I think that just doesn't get discussed enough, mm-hmm. um, not nearly enough. Um, because, you know, like you said, you, you get excited, you're in a relationship, you know, I'm talking like a, a like a loving type of relationship, mm-hmm. not a parent child relationship. Um, but you know, let's say a, a partner significant other type of relationship where, you know, you're looking for a spouse or you're looking for a partner and you get excited that this person's really mm-hmm. into you and, you know, you, you're hopeful that it will work and, you know, all of these things. So, um, so I, I'm glad we talked about that, but now I want to kind of shift a little bit and talk about when you're 10 years in and you're already in it and mm-hmm. you see it, uh, and again, may, it might be hidden for a long time and let's say you go to therapy and you kind of have this realization, oh no, I'm, I'm in this type of relationship. Mm-hmm. What now? Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, my first question is, does the narcissistic partner, know that they're doing this or are they in just complete denial? If you were to confront them and say, hey, you're being emotionally abusive to me or you're being you know, verbally abusive to me, yada, 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 are they going to get defensive and defend themselves? Or are they going to look at and say, gosh, do they have any realization that they're even like that or doing those things? So there's two things to look at with this. First is, yes, they know exactly what they're doing. It's very strategic. Um, they Yes, that is my blanket statement to that. Yes, they know okay. exactly what they're doing. No, they do not care. Right. They don't care that they're hurting you. They don't care that they are, you know, ruining somebody's life. They don't care. So, you know, a lot of times people say, um, you know, they, it, the hard thing I think for people is to understand and wrap their brain around the fact that this person is deliberately doing this. Right regardless of how much pain they see you in, because you are an object to them. You are not their girlfriend. You are not their girlfriend or their boyfriend. You are not their husband. You're not their wife. You're an object. And you are not viewed as somebody who is separate from them in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're interchangeable. So you're used for a certain purpose at any given time. They know exactly what they're doing. Yes. However, there are some behaviors that they may not realize they're doing, but not because they don't have insight. It's because it's become so habitual for them to act in this pattern that they may just do it like an automatic pilot. But if brought to their attention, they'll do two things. One, they just will acknowledge it and say, so what? Like they won't care that you're upset. Or they'll they'll gaslight you, which means you'll say, you know, you're being very verbally abusive. And they'll say, what are you talking? No, I'm not. You're crazy. I never said that. And then you start to doubt your reality. Yeah. Because they'll keep saying, I never said that. I never said that. And you're like, what? You did. And then you, you start to get confused and they tell you you're crazy. And, you know, and then it it, it becomes something else. It, so, you know, so it becomes this very psychologically abusive dynamic. So they are not in denial. They know what they're doing. There is no changing it. Um, you know, one of the worst things, and I see this a lot, and it's it's no fault of the therapist. Just a lot of times therapists don't understand the nuances because it's not their specialty, right? So right. what happens is they'll go to couples therapy. And somebody who is not aware of the nuances of narcissism, when you're in couples therapy, 
the narcissist is going to charm the therapist. And what ends up happening is they say, well, maybe you guys should go on date night together, right? Or maybe it sounds like he's really trying, you know, because he'll pretend that he's trying or she'll mm-hmm. pretend that, he, that she's trying. And it's very invalidating for the other person. They feel very alone. They feel stuck. So couples therapy is probably the last thing I, re- I actually don't even recommend couples therapy for, for this because the narcissist, there is no changing them. Right. Um, it'll just further invalidate the non-narcissistic partner. Right. Yes. I, I definitely can see the invalidation in that. Mm-hmm. So so what is the non-narcissistic partner supposed to do? Let's say they're mm-hmm. they're they're aware this is not healthy or this is not for me. Um, you would think that if they just left the narcissistic partner, mm-hmm. the, the the narcissistic person would just find someone else to abuse, you know? They will. Um, yeah. They will an object, but mm-hmm. But what would what would that look like? How could mm-hmm. someone safely and proactively maybe try to get out of in a relationship mm-hmm. if they could? Like you said, a lot of times maybe they don't have the finances to mm-hmm. do so or the support because they've isolated them mm-hmm. and whatnot. And that can be a pretty scary place. And, and especially if there's children involved in, you know, mm-hmm. let's say a romantic relationship and they already have, you know, a couple of kids and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But you know, what if, if couples counseling, you know, um, but, to, you know, to live like that for the rest of your life, let's say, or maybe then the partner starts doing it to the children and you're seeing it happen, not just to you, but to your own mm-hmm. kids. Um, you know, is there is there hope for that? I mean, what can they safely or proactively do um, if they're in that type of a relationship? Yeah, so it's going to depend on a lot of factors. So, um, you know, even if the narcissistic parent, which would be so rare that they wouldn't also be this way to their kids because they will be because their kids are objects as well um that they still see this behavior between the spouse and the narcissistic partner so you know a lot of times i'll have patients say like well my kids you know i don't want to leave my kids the truth of the matter is is oftentimes when you're dealing with true narcissistic personality disorder staying with them is doing more damage for the kids than not that's that's number one um number two when somebody realizes that you know holy crap, I'm in this relationship. And they start putting the pieces together, which ends up being a very powerful thing in therapy. Because once you see narcissist, once you see it, you cannot unsee the blueprint. And it's one of, one of the things that's fascinating about it is that you have the narcissistic partner who won't ever change. Right. You know, ever. They're, they're, they're going to be like this. Yes, they know what they're doing and no, they don't care. And then you, you have the partner who once they realize the pattern, the blueprint, they, it, it's so, it becomes this like rapid progress that they make. I'm not saying it's easy, but they start to see the pattern. They can predict what they're going to do. They can predict how they're going to respond. So they have more control over it. It's almost like they're able to look at the relationship objectively now, rather than being stuck in it, having no footing. So when they get to that point, it becomes very powerful for them. And they they won't even know that it's something toxic, something like that until they see it. So once they see it, what I tell people is this is going to be a process, right? Assuming you're safe, physically safe, yes. your kids are safe. That, if you're not, that's a different story. Assuming you're safe, if you have no access to finances, if you have no access to support, um, you need a plan. And there's a lot of resources, you know, there's a lot of resources for um, women who are in the situation or men who are in the situation, um, you know, support kind of networks. And so you need a plan. And I tell people whether it takes five days or five years, 
you have to develop a plan. It's the only type of relationship that you need an exit strategy. You truly need an exit strategy. A lot of times women are going to leave. I keep saying women because most of my patients are women, but it's definitely men too. They leave, they come back, they leave, they come back because the ultimate, um, the ultimate dig or the ultimate slap in the face to a narcissist is leaving them. Right. So if you leave them, I tell my patients, you won. Like you already won if you left now. But the problem is, is that they'll then start to do that um, love bombing again, trying to get you back. I'll change. I promise. And they will change, quote, quote, change for, let's say, three months, but just for the purpose of getting you back. Right. You know, the way they were in the love bombing stage when you were dating them, people say, I just want them to go back to how they were. I want the old, the old her back, the old him back. What they eventually understand is that old him was never him. This is who he is. That was an act to get you to where you are now. Right. So once they really realize that there's a mourning process that has to take place because they're trying to constantly get that back, but that never really existed. Um, so they set a goal, you know, these small goals, you know, maybe set aside a little bit of money every week if they can, or have a friend set aside money for you, make an exit strategy when you would leave, who you would stay with, what attorney you would call, um, or what support network you would call, things that you can do to prevent yourself from getting sucked back into the cycle and coming back. Um, They don't let you go ever. So even if you leave them, 10 years from now, in their mind, you're still property of theirs. So people have to understand that the narcissistic abuse doesn't end just when you leave. Right. It will continue. Now, you'll be in a better place, but it will continue. Mm. So it's a plan to get out, but also how to maintain afterwards, especially if you have kids together. Well, and that's the thing. As a mom, you know, Mm -hmm. I would think that if I were in that type of relationship and I was out of it, mm-hmm. well, A, if you have kids, it's, you're still going to be involved no matter what because you're yeah. co-parenting at that point. Correct. So, um, you know, that that's close contact. But, you know, just the fact of if you're in the relationship, at least you're there to help maybe offset the abuse if you're still in the relationship. But then when you're out and that partner is with those kids by themselves, you're not there to protect the kids. So you're, <laughs> so you're not, however... As far as psychological abuse, you're not. However, you need one stable parent to set the tone. You need to be the available parent, the one to set the. And what you what ends up happening oftentimes is that once the couple is separated, the non narcissistic partner starts to regroup, starts to become stronger, starts to become more stable in who they are and what they want. Right? Because a lot of my patients say, "I don't even know what flavor ice cream I like." You know, they've been told what to watch, what to eat, what to wear. They're, they have no sense of self. So when they leave, it's very scary for them. They don't know who they are. Um, and so with children, what ends up happening oftentimes is that they'll come back to the, quote, available parent or the non-narcissistic parent, and that parent will have to clean up the disaster that happens when they were, you know, the emotional disaster that happened when they were with the narcissistic partner. But the stable parent has a lot more of an impact on the kids than they realize. And I see that a lot. And as the, you know, the, the kids get older, it starts to become even more obvious. Um, but you know, the kids will eventually need therapy. I I say that to a lot of my patients, 
Um, but it's not, it's not a protecting thing. It's, it's actually the, the longer you stay in the relationship, the worse it will be for the children. You know, the, the separation is so much better for them to see the healthy you versus non-healthy other person. If that makes sense. Yes, it makes perfect sense. You know, and that's hard, like you said, because in public, let's say you don't have much of a support group by the time Mm -hmm. that happens. But Mm -hmm. in public, this person, this narcissistic person is maybe looked at at their job or with friends or who is amazing. Right. And mm-hmm. they think you, like they think you, even your friends or your own family might think well, you're crazy. Yeah, they're they going to it. assassinate. If you leave them, you know, they're going to punish you. They're going to assassinate your character. They're going to, you know, when you see this a lot in the court system, which it, it's it's very hard with narcissistic partners because that type of abuse is not really supported in the court system. And so family court in certain states is a disaster for a lot of people who are separating from a narcissist. Uh, it's, it gets very, very complicated and it, it, it's, it's a lot of times I'll just say it's unfair. There's certain states where it's, it's definitely getting better, but, um, a lot of the abuse that happens is not stuff that you can bring up in court or that makes a difference. Um, so the, the non-narcissistic partner has to start to regroup, reconnect with people. That's a big thing. I always say, you know, pick one person that you can reconnect with because a lot of the people, want, they miss you. You know, they, they haven't spoken to you because they've been pushed out, but they miss you and they're concerned about you. You you know, you're close, close friends. But as far as what other people view the narcissist as, they're going to look at them as, you know, I can't believe she left. She, you know, she's crazy. She, this, and they will spread rumors about you. Like I said, they they will assassinate your character. Right. And, and And you need to be prepared for that. True. And that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good for people to know that that mm-hmm. is what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, um, because there has been so much unpredictable everything in the yeah. relationship. They, there needs to be some type of expectation or prediction of what's going to happen. Okay. This mm-hmm. is how, what's going to happen when it, when the relationship ends and it's yes. not going to be easy. Um, and like you said, it's hard to prove because yeah. Unlike something like physical abuse, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you want to walk around with your phone the whole time on record in mm-hmm. case they start yelling at you or calling you bad names That's and right. doing things that you know is hurtful and not right. And then, but then at the day, like you said, it's flipped around mm-hmm. where it's almost projected that everything you're saying about them, you know, let's say they're being constantly minimizing, condescending, demeaning, critical, all, you know, all of those mm-hmm. things. But then when it's addressed, the partner somehow is strategic enough, like you said, to not take fault or responsibility, Correct. but projects it on the other person, the non-narcissistic person, where they're all of a sudden thinking, you know, that they're the ones that have a problem and maybe you're being threatened to being left, you know, saying, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to leave you if you don't right. you know, get your act together or That's you're right. just this horrible person. And you're thinking, no, wait, you are. That's right. It's, it gets <laughs> very, you. It, 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 I'm telling you, it is so but that's hard. It's to so mind blowing how yes. manipulative and how strategic it is. It's very, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. And one of the things that I work with a lot of my patients on is how, not only just how to get out of the relationship, but how to function after the relationship is over. Right. That's a huge part of this. And that's why you need a plan of action because once the non-narcissistic partner is able to see the blueprint, is able to predict what they're going to do when, then you start coming up with responses to the behaviors rather than responses to the person. 
Mm, okay. I like and that. And you start to respond to, you know, y- y- you learn to set certain boundaries at certain times. You learn how to and what to say in response so that you still are in control. It, it becomes, it's like a chess, it's a, it's a chess game. Yes. Um, and I help, that's really what I help a lot of people do is how to, how to navigate this very complex web of behavior um, so that they feel that they have control of whatever that looks like. And it's not easy by any means, but what ends up happening is the more boundaries they set and, or they completely cut off contact, especially if there's no kids, they go what's called no contact where you block them on everything. You don't, you know, emails and social media, you block, you do not respond to them. You don't contact them. You don't, nothing. They're, they're gone to you. Um, that is truly the only way right. to, to, to remove them. Um, other than that, they will always try to figure out a way to come back in. Holidays, birthdays, those are big, big times where they will do something to mess it up for you. Sure. Oh, um, yeah. So, But knowing that ahead of time, you can situate yourself so that it doesn't affect you. And when you get to a point, when when somebody gets to a point where they are able to, like I said, identify the behaviors, respond to them in an effective way so that it doesn't make them upset or make them, you know, or them anxious, the narcissist has no more power over them. And when they get, when they can't get what's called fuel, right? So they, they get this, they, they make somebody upset or sad or scared. They get something from that. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel in control and have power. And so when that fuel station, right? Like everyone's a fuel station almost. So like when that fuel station is closed and they can't get that fuel from you anymore, then they move on to somebody else. They may come back. They probably will come back. Just see if they have access to you still. Not because they want you back, but to just to see if they have access to your emotions. Yes. Right? They yeah. don't want you back. They never wanted you, period. They just liked the, the fuel they could get from you. So they they kind of just go around trying to get what they can from people. So if you block off that fuel supply, they have no need for you anymore. You don't serve a purpose anymore. And that's what you want. Right. And that helps the non-narcissistic partner take the emotionality out of it yes. and not take it so personally and look Correct. at it, like you said, as just a behavior. Yes. You know, so it's more objective. Yes, um, it's such a power when they go. My that's probably one of my favorite parts of doing this particular type of work is when my patient has that moment. It's almost like an epiphany. It's like a, oh my god, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and they start to really see it. It is such a powerful thing because once you see it, you cannot unsee it, and it is it's super powerful because then you just watch the other person start to kind of unravel. Right. Because nothing's working anymore. So they just start doing random things to trying to get it and they don't know what's going on because you're not giving them what you usually have. Yes. Yes. I can I can imagine that just being very empowering. So very. which leads mm-hmm. me to my last um my last two questions. I'll kind of wrap it up together. And you, you already mentioned some of this, but if you have anything else to add to it, I'd love to hear that before we wrap up. Um uh, my, my last two questions kind of revolved around how does the non-narcissistic partner cope? Um, when they're in this type of relationship, maybe, you know, once they know things are going on, you know, how do they cope until they get to their exit strategy plan? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, how do how does the non-narcissistic partner, um, you know, kind of feel that worth, get that self-worth back, get that, mm-hmm. you know, get their life back together? So, um, you know, 
as far as how to get their their life back again, that's one of the things that becomes a big focal after focus after they they leave. Um, but what they find is that they have a lot of difficulty making decisions because they weren't allowed to, or every decision they made was wrong. Um, they don't know who they are, what they like. They don't know really anything about themselves, and so. I help them kind of slowly start to figure out what they are interested in. And I and I like to tell them that they're a blank slate. I don't, I don't like saying who you were before the relationship because even though you're wonderful before the relationship as a human being, you probably had patterns mm-hmm. that put you kind of in 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 line with with this type of it kind of in, it, it the narcissistic patterns in their patterns kind of mixed together for the wrong reasons, right? So we we look at the patterns that existed prior to the relationship and work to change them so that you can become a stronger person with healthier patterns so you don't repeat them. Yes. I love that. Um, it's very important. I, I tell them really like try not to date for a little while because you want to give these new patterns time to settle in. You may be very used to volatile, up and down, up and down, emotionally abusive relationships. So a stable relationship is going to be very boring to you probably at first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's a lot of those things to talk about. But as far as, you know, what to do as far as how to get out and, and, and who to contact, my, my biggest thing with that is try to find the person who no matter what, kind of is is always going to be there for you. And if you don't have that person, there is a ton of support online. Just make sure, you know, you find somebody that is a licensed mental health professional or specializes in specializes in this because narcissism is one of those things where if the therapist or the mental health provider isn't aware of the nuances, it can sometimes be a little bit more dangerous because you know, well, it seems like they're trying or, you know, they apologize, you know, and it sounds like they've been doing a lot of work and that's never going to be the case. Yeah. So not helpful in that situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So really. I think, you know, finding support groups of other women who are going through this, you can find that online. You can, you know, there's a ton of resources and that's what I would start to do. Start to educate yourself, start to educate the people around you so that they see it as well. Right. Because the narcissist partner may very much go to your mother or your father and convince them to convince you. So you want to educate too. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. This has just been such a powerful conversation. I'm so appreciative of the work that you do. Where can others find you online if they want more information, resources, or to possibly see you in practice? Sure. So my website is drjamiezuckerman.com. And I have a lot of workshops on there and all my information for therapy, for consulting. Um, I consult with a lot of, again, both men and women, mostly women on kind of navigating this type of relationship. Um, And then my Instagram, I post a lot of things about narcissism and, um, you know, kind of just general concepts, ideas, strategies. And that is Dr. uh, Dr. Period Z underscore psychologist. So doc, yeah, Dr. D period. Yes. Dr. Yeah. Dr. Period Z underscore psychologist. And I, I, like I said, I post a lot of information on there about narcissism. Yes. And that's how I found you. And I, I, re- I really loved um, following you and the advice that you give on there, little snippets of, of different um, posts yeah. that you have. So, um, oh, and the podcast, we do a oh, lot yeah. of narcissism on there. So that's, um, it's me, Dr. Z with JB. 
And um, I co-host with uh, John Barchard, who kind of looks at it from the the, the non-psychologist standpoint. And um, we kind of go back and forth on our views with that. And we do a ton of stuff on narcissism. So that's on um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can download there. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Z. Like I said, I just I admire the work that you do. So appreciative that you do it. And I really um, hope this episode helps a lot of people out there. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.